Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Through Jeremiah's Eyes. Today, I am joined by an incredible friend and future leader in this world. Today, we are going to talk about gifted and talented programs within the education system and their effects on students within and outside of those programs. So, Tahira, if you could introduce yourself. Hello, I am Tahira Jones, a junior animal science student here at North Carolina A&T. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> of course, of course. So, just to kick off the episode, how was your experience and like your relationship with school as you were growing up? Um, it was, at the beginning, it was pretty tough because from the earliest years, I remember being in elementary school, the gifted and talented program kind of like really stuck with me and like definitely shifted how I saw myself as a student in education, um, especially having friends as part of like the talent, gifted and talented program and then only getting to talk to them or see them at re recess or maybe like early in the morning. So um, yeah, that definitely stuck with me, but it definitely uh, gave me a drive to be the person I am today regarding education. Tough, tough. Do you like going to school? Do you like learning? Um, I do for the most part, but I like experiential learning. I don't really like to just like to get lectured all the time. I feel like it's kind of like counterproductive regarding like education, or at least for me. And I'm also a visual learner, so um, it kind of goes hand in hand. Because if I'm looking at a visual and then you don't explain what it is or why it it's a visual, then I'm kind of be like lost. But for the most part. I'd rather have the visual explaining what you want me to learn as opposed to like a whole lecture or word paragraph. Nah, yeah. yeah. I feel the exact same way. I'm a very visual learner. And then same thing with the experiential learning. Mm -hmm. I'd rather do stuff and then learn from that right. as opposed to just being told from like a PowerPoint lecture. Yeah. Because just for me, that one doesn't stick with me and the two is boring right. in my opinion. Right. Um, how about now? Is it the same? Has it always been the same? Being a visual learner and wanting to get that experiential learning? Or? Um, for the most part, yeah. It's like I do do much better as far as educational matters, like being hands-on. That's why I want to pursue as like, well, since high school, I know in my high school in Texas, they had like, um, kind of like animal production classes, if you can call it. So that's how I got really big on like agriculture education. And I don't know if you ever took like ag ed classes in high school. Really? That's crazy. Well, um, for the most part, it's like a lot of hands on. So it's like, I mean, we didn't have like a farm in our school backyard or anything, but my ag teacher, she was also our advisor for FFA. She was made sure that, um, like, for example, we went to a Texas State Fair and got to see all like the goats and the pigs and sheep and horses. And also um, in class, she'll make sure that we were like, I don't know, just getting engaged, like doing arts and crafts while also playing into like agriculture education. Like I remember one class she had us do like the skeletal system of a horse, like and like it was like huge all across <laughs> the desk. Like it was just really fun. So I'd rather do that than just look at numbers or words all day. So it's but yeah, I say it's definitely has not changed much. Um I've always wanted to be like a veterinarian and in high school I was like, okay, and then I got to college and I was like, oof, maybe this isn't a works, but I still like <laughs> animal science because I still love to be a visual learner. I was going to say for, um, what was it? oh, the horse skeleton thingy, like that, the fact that you're able to recall that, yeah. that it shows that those are the types of things that stick with you. Right. And I feel like, maybe, maybe not for everybody, mm -hmm. but at least for me, that's the same exact way. So like specific stuff that I do that I've done in like elementary or middle school or yeah. high school, I remember those specific things when I have something that I'm actually physically doing mm -hmm. and applying the learning as opposed to what I read in the textbook. Right. For me, that doesn't work in the same way why I don't really test well with like multiple choice tests. Right. Because when you ask me to pick between four answers, that all can be correct right. for all different reasons. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I have no idea like which one I'm supposed to pick. But if you can, if you put me in front of something where I actually have to do it and apply what I know, mm -hmm. then I can do right. a lot better. Right. But that's also, I don't know, that's just how, that's just how I work. Right. Um, but so you were never identified as a gift, quote unquote gifted or quote unquote talented yeah. student throughout elementary, middle or high school? No, I, I wasn't. It was uh, really hard for me. I think I, yeah, yeah, because it was all subjective, like, 
you had to, it was like a matter of testing. So like, I will never forget like being in one of those like uh, portables outside of school, like the classrooms that I was in, they gave us a, a multiplication test. There's like five or six rows of just like simple, like third grade math. And I was like having such a hard time. And I was like so upset because um, the most students who got the most correct had their name on the wall and it was like gold, silver, and bronze. And like I was so hard on myself and my mom was shoving these multiplication <laughs> cards down my throat. And she was like, you're gonna study and you're gonna study division and multiplication and um, fractions, which also like I hated like, I don't know, math. And I just always had a pretty rough relationship. And I remember like one time doing like the bare minimum, like decent enough to get a bronze. <laughs> and it, yes, and I was just so happy. And I showed it to my mom, I was like, look, I knew like, it's stuff like that that I was like, it kind of like ruined my relationship with education because now it became more about um, recognition and accomplishment as opposed to actually learning. Yeah. So um, I think that kind of messed me up. But yeah, I never been deemed like a gifted or talented student, quote unquote, um, except besides like, I think eighth grade history, I was in the honors class, but it, they weren't really honors class. They just learned at a faster pace yeah. than like the regular classes. I didn't really realize that until eighth grade. I was like, wow, what a what a setup. Like, <laughs> like I just thought it was just so stupid. I was like, well, I have it if we're just going to learn the material at the end of the day anyway. So yeah, I was never redeemed or qualified. Even like now at A&T, but I don't know, now I'm like, like perceptive of should we even have like a gifted and honored talented program or honor system um, quote unquote for school? Yeah, because I was say back in elementary school, I remember we had to take a test. Mm -hmm. I forgot what it was. I feel like it was math, mm -hmm. maybe science, maybe reading, um, or like English, whatever. Right. Um, but then I took it and then I got put in like the gifted and talented program. So they like take us out of class mm -hmm. to be able to go do these different things, which were fun. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also weird because I would have friends and some of my friends I was closest with mm -hmm. weren't in the gifted and talented program. So when they weren't, mm -hmm. we had it, it was called SCOPE. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what it stands for. <laughs> <laughs> but we would be taking out of class to be able to do these different things through elementary school, middle school. And it was like those moments, they stuck with me, but at the same time, like the way that it made me feel, it was like I got the recognition, but at the same time I felt isolated because mm -hmm. it was only a select number of students that I was around pretty much all the time. But then I was out of touch with the like mass majority of students. So I was like, this right. is weird. Like, why do I, why am I different from everybody else? Right. Um, but I feel like with my mom and dad, the, the way I was raised and everything, they helped me with mm -hmm. all of that. Um, but I guess in my perspective of being in those programs, I appreciated it, but at the same time, it, it's weird. Because mm -hmm. it's always going to be the balance when you try and separate somebody from somebody else and who's to say that one person isn't as gifted and talented as mm -hmm. somebody else. And basing that off of a test when right. you're in elementary school, right. <laughs> I, I've always had like a weird relationship with that. It's always been weird. Mm -hmm. um, and I even talk about it like now with the within the scholarship program because a lot of us were in those gifted and talented programs. We're like, how do you identify somebody back in elementary school mm -hmm. through a standardized test, which we're learning about now? They don't really show right. how smart somebody is. Like my GPA is definitely not the highest, mm -hmm. but I, I was identified as a gifted and talented student. Right. Um, I don't know, but I have the same the same like. I have a weird relationship with uh, like gifted and talented programs, especially in elementary and middle school. Mm -hmm. I feel like when we get to the college level, it's more so of a choice of if you want to do the like honors requirements and all that different type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's a different story, but elementary and middle school, to me, it feels weird. Right. It worked, right. but at the same time, it kind of isolates some people and not everybody has the same support group right. as everybody else everybody's not as privileged as other people have the same resources yeah so that's also yeah weird. so would you say that that social aspect like kind of made you like not stunted in a way but you had to work harder at being more uh, sociable or extroverted as opposed to like 
not being with the general population of students and learning about those personalities and differences in people? So I would say for the most part, most people in scope, like we all got really close because that was kind of like our, those were our people that we just saw like pretty much every day. Right. But then everybody else, like when we tried to integrate, or at least from my perspective, when I tried to integrate with everybody else, like I wouldn't know what was going on. I didn't know what like little kid drama was going right. on or anything. <laughs> right. So like I couldn't maintain or be engaged in those conversations with everybody else. I wasn't around a whole bunch of different variety of people. Mm-hmm. Um, all the time so probably did mm-hmm. um when i was younger i was more introverted mm-hmm. now i feel like there's like a scale mm-hmm. and there's the middle and extrovert is on the right introvert is on the left i feel like i'm in the i'm in the middle between the middle of the entire thing mm-hmm. and extroverted mm-hmm. just because i like talking yeah I'm like, i don't care about it i'll talk to you if i don't even know you You're right but that's like that's just me how do you feel like um not being in the like gifted and talented program affected you and like how you went about like social life mm-hmm. i guess well i think for the most part for elementary school it was kind of hard like kind of like you there were like the gifted and talented students over here and then like the you know common core classes or classmates were like on one side so i think like it kind of had me grown apart from my friends that were like in the gifted talented because I didn't see them as frequently as I did like as other students. So I think for the most part, I was kind of like glad that I didn't um, hang too much time with the gifted and talented students, even though like there were still children like for the most part, but I was glad that I didn't have to worry about like academic pressure because like, I feel like you you will start to compare yourself to like your friend or your peers and then that can go into like resentment and it's like out of like misplaced anger and stuff so it's just like I'm kind of glad that I didn't was in that program with my friends because I feel like I would have had to end those friendships because it's like I'm too academic competitive with you right now and it's just causing all this tension and I don't know like we're in elementary school like we shouldn't have to worry about that so I'm kind of glad I have to worry about that and even in middle school, I think um, that's when my mom kind of like started to put a little more pressure because I guess she can kind of see that I didn't want to be ac- uh, academically excellent. So she would like start to tell me like, oh, show interest in this uh, class or this teacher that they're teaching for honors. Because basically for my middle school, your teacher had to recommend you for the honors yeah. class. Yeah, so it wasn't like you can just... Um, take a test or anything like they had to see that you had potential to be on a student so I think maybe I was in more honor classes but um, I'm glad that I wasn't in those honors classes at least for like math and reading and maybe I was in math and reading but I don't know I don't think so or math and English sorry not reading because um, there was definitely like uh, <laughs> definitely I don't want to say segregation, but there was definitely a demographic of students that were in honors kids or honor classes rather than not. So I think um, being amongst like the black students or people of color or students of color was better than being like with predominantly like white classroom. Especially since it's like not only do you have to be an honor student in a predominantly white classroom, but you have to be like academically excellent. So it's like too many pressures for me that I think I'll be able to deal with. And like, now that, that's a, that <laughs> a bar. So in pre, from ele, elementary school, from getting put in like the honors program, it was mm-hmm. always uh, like either one or two of the only black kids in the entire mm-hmm. thing. And that always felt weird because I would see, even though there were still barely any black kids in the school, right? it was like I saw other black kids that looked like me that I could relate to, mm-hmm. but they weren't in the gifted and talented program. And then middle school when I was taking an honors class and everything, same thing. And then in high school when I was in AP and DE class yeah. that I had, literally I saw the same exact people in every class. And for the black students, there were a few of us that were taking AP and DE classes. Right. But at the same time, that's isolating because you see the majority of the black students weren't taking these. AP and DE classes. 
Um, but I also feel like that is kind of the education system. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a whole other topic we can get to. But yeah, that's I agree with you, especially since like um, I took an AP class in high school, and I don't know what I thought, um, but I definitely dropped out like the first semester after first semester because it was just way too much work. Like especially since they kind of promote it as like this is what college is like and this yeah. is a course so you're going to be expected so I was like okay it's good to have that exposure and to kind of build my work ethic but like looking at it it was just way too much I mean they expect us to do like 20 pages every other day and then do like a word or spelling quiz like every other or pop spelling quiz so you don't even know you just have to study all the words and maybe you have a quiz maybe you don't so it was just like all this like it was just way too much and then the lectures we would have i don't remember like the time that we had for class maybe it was like an hour maybe an hour and a half but it was just like way too much information, information. yes and i was just like i'm in ninth grade <laughs> like i'm a 15 year old like i cannot condense this much information especially since eighth grade history which i took ap um it was like it was something, not human geography. I, I think it was a, it was. I think it was. I'm I'm not sure. I think it was like AP history or something. Well, US history? I think, no, it wasn't US. It was like world history. Oh yeah, that yeah. AP world. Yeah. Yeah, AP world, and it was just like way too much. So maybe it was tenth grade, but either then I'm like way too young, you know, that a little geography class. It wasn't AP, but it was like the Common Core geography class, and she was telling us like, "Look at this map, and what continent is this?" And then it just jumped to like all of world history <laughs> condensed like this hour and a half class. So that was just like insane. So I'm glad I dropped out, but it's just like it was insane how they kind of did that. And like you said, there was like me and one other like black student. So. I dropped out of that in my spring semester. I went to like the Common Core um, World History class, and I found people like there were all these like people of color, um, black people. So yeah, it was just insane. And for the I don't know about you, but for like the AP classes I took, it was predominantly Asian students. So I was like, whoa! I was like, oh my gosh! And they're very. Um, at least the ones that I would talk to and learn classes with, they're very academically competitive with everybody. So it was just like very toxic educational environment. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the same way with um, at my high school, it was predominantly white though. Mm. Um, but the comparison mm-hmm. and competitiveness just got like. I could see it in elementary school, in middle school, like we would always compare like our tests and we had like multiplication tables, like speed math. Yeah. Like, you play 24, the 24 game? We had like four so. questions or four numbers on the card and you had to like add and multiply and subtract and divide oh, maybe. to be able to get to 24. I don't think I played it. I think I definitely heard about it though. So we used to do those two and they're like different difficulties. So we always be competing and all that type of stuff, which helped make us better. But at the same time, it got toxic yeah. over time and those same people kind of like moved up with me so I saw like the growth I could see my growth like retrospectively but in high school when I really noticed and everybody was so competitive and it wasn't I want to be really good and now I also want you to be really good it was I want to be really good even if that means that you're not as good as me and I'm gonna yeah. let you know that I'm better than you and I got a bet higher test score than you I'm gonna let you know that my class rank is higher than you right so it just got like toxic at a point but one of the things i like about the honors program here i feel like at hbc it's kind of different mm-hmm. because everybody looks like me so it's like this is dope right um, that's the one that's um, but the one. another thing that i'm learning or that i learned when i came here like they're black people from all different economic backgrounds viewpoints opinions uh education levels people love learning people don't like learning there are different people that are interested in engineering and animal science and agriculture and education and all a whole bunch of different types of things right but within i also noticed that even though i had this scholarship and i'm in the honors program there are also people outside the honors program that 
should be, in my opinion, yeah. in the honors program. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's, well, I think that's, oh, sorry. What you say? <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, but that doesn't make, just simply because you're in a honors program or something, that doesn't make you better or smarter than the next person. Mm-hmm. It's just another label that, right. to me, label shouldn't really have power over mm-hmm. anybody which is kind of what I talked about in the last podcast episode. Yeah. Um, I hit on that a little bit. But not being confined by those labels, if you have that label or if you don't have a label, what does it matter? Just be you. Right. Do what you do and then make what you want happen. Right. What were you about to say? Yeah. Well, I was saying, uh, it's funny you said that because, like, uh, like, I mentioned in the chat, like, hmm, maybe we should be an honor student because I got um, invited to the honors convocation and I was like, Kind of like the imposter syndrome you're feeling because I was, I asked me, what you see? I was like, no, I'm like, the honor students are going, like, why should I? So I was like, oh, maybe I should. But I think having that mentality of, I think that honor systems are kind of toxic in a way, and that um, I see like what y'all have to do. And I'm like, if I have to put that much academic pressure on myself, I would probably just like, burnout or just drop out of the honors it's like the whole contracts y'all have and the like the expectation that y'all have to carry and then all the lecture series <laughs> it's just like I think I wouldn't mind the label but I feel like for all the work that I would have to do it's just kind of like oh man I'll be like super burnt out so yeah. I think that's having that and then also like I said like those AP classes and and then seeing like my Asian American peers at high school, like having a mental breakdown because they're not the 10% of the class is just like, I saw how that impacted them and how they view education and how they view themselves as a person and their identity. So it's like, I guess I kind of just have that, I'm kind of like rejecting that whole like honor system and all that good stuff. But I do have moments where I'm like, hmm, I maybe I should have, especially since it's like a badge of honor. Yeah, I I feel like the same ways or Sort of the same way, mm-hmm. um, but oh, I forgot what I was about to say. Um, I feel like the problem with honors is when, it, or any type of label like that, is when it comes with you feeling like you have to meet somebody else's expectations. Because mm-hmm. through honors, I would keep the GPA that I have, no matter if I'm in honors or if I'm not in honors. Right. I always want to do well. Right. Um, in the community service, I like volunteering, so mm-hmm. I'm better volunteer like the lecture series and everything I like I like listening to people right, speak because right. it also gives me an opportunity to learn about public speaking so I'm like that works in the cultural events I like experiencing different things so it's like I'm doing all those things I don't even think of them as honors requirements it's just stuff that I would already do but mm-hmm. I'm integrating it into when I'm on a student right um and I know that's like I feel like with honors I feel like a big problem um, within it is people feeling like they're expected to do this one thing and then like beating themselves up over it. Like how you were saying people are having ba- breakdowns. Mm-hmm. That was the same thing that was happening in my high school. And I was like, this, your education doesn't define you. This isn't like solely you. Right. You're still you, whether you do bad on a test, you just learn from it and then mm-hmm. move past it. Um, and that's just something that I've been trying to do with pretty much everything in my life. Mm-hmm. Now I just, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it whether right. people want me to or not, whether right. it's aligned with what my major is, which is just another label in my opinion. I'm going to do it. And for example, test. Mm-hmm. I can fail a test and then guess what? I don't care. Right. I'm going to just, I know what I have to do, but I'm not going to try and wallow on the test. Right. Whether I have to meet a GPA requirement or if I don't have to meet a GPA requirement. I know what I have to do, so I feel like there's no point in spending time like... I don't know. Yeah. You get the, you get the idea. I, I should be that. Yeah. So as far as like you're saying like you like to do speaker series and, or lecture series and cultural events and volunteering. So do you think um, kind of like the honor system that's just built upon that, do you think it matters at all? Like I understand like the GPA requirement and all that good stuff, but it's like do you think it's sustainable if, because I feel like the average student for the most part, one of my Going, donating a couple cans of food to a food drive or to go to a community garden and plant some seeds or what have you. So, like, do you think it's going to be 
kind of like obsolete in the future. Like people gonna be like, I do that regardless. Like I don't need that on a student, and then kind of like collapse to himself. I feel like I feel like the well, I just have the problem with the education system as a whole. But <laughs> um, I feel like for honors, I feel like that distinction needs to have more freedom mm-hmm. within it. Because, for example, all the stuff that you do, mm-hmm. like, I feel like that should classify you as an honors student, even though it's not going to these lecture series, doing these culture. Like, mm-hmm. that there should be some sort of, like, um... Like leadership element to it? Like, yeah, just, like, everybody does different stuff. Everybody's interested in different things. Right. Um, so, if a student, like, we know the students that are going out of their way and making change and doing these outside experiences and getting all these opportunities. And I feel like that should be identified as an honor student. I feel like it should have more flexibility as opposed to meet this, meet this, meet this, meet this, and you're an honor student. Right. Um, but at the same time with that, I don't know how feasible that is because there still has to be some sort of measurable outcome mm-hmm. to be able to have a distinction like honors or, for example, you can't say, um, maintain a good GPA, impact the community, and lead. Mm-hmm. You have to have, like, meet a GPA requirement and then, like, be on an e-board for, like, two years or do, like, however many community service hours. Like, those are measurable goals. Right. And I don't really know how to make a universal system that encompasses all the different things that people can do mm-hmm. that would make everybody that deserves to, I don't know, because deserving to be recognized is weird. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like it would have to change in the future or like evolve and grow, especially with um, all honors programs growing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they have to develop them. In a way, I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so much, but the education system is chain- changing. Standardized tests are changing, so I don't even know if GPA is going to really be a thing because right. not everybody's a good test taker. I'm not a good yeah. test taker. Yeah, that's like, it. you thought all my test grades, so I may have a 4.9. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. But, yeah. We'll see. I hope that. Yeah, a good point of like the standardized testing because, like, literally, I was like, not to, you know, Looked down on my HBCUs, but I was like, I knew that my SAT score was enough to get into like um, the school I did want to go to, like when I was a freshman, sophomore, like Texas A and M. But it's funny, like when I look back, because it's like, like I was in high school, like why was I putting my whole identity and self worth <laughs> into this SAT score? I mean, of course it all worked out because I loved A and T. I want to change it for the world, but. You know, I would look back and be like, what if they did say we want a 1500 or a 1400 or more? So it's like, I want to have the opportunity because like, I'm like, you're not very good at test taker. I can't work in complete silence. I can't, I don't like, I hate time to test. Yes. So it's just like, I don't know. It kind of sucks how like, after a while, so much testing and so much, you know, this is going into the school. if you know, you're, you're worth this much of a number, it's like, you know, I don't know, very unmotivational because it's like, I don't know, you have to give up on that theory of I'm just a number or I can only um, do so much if my scores are high. Yeah, and with the, especially with the SAT and ACT, yeah. like, I, to me, I started learning, like, the mindset I have now started in, like, my junior year of high school. And I took the SAT in my senior year. I didn't study for not a single bit because I was like, standardized testing, I don't really understand what it is. Literally. I'm really going to know the information I'm not going to, so I just took it. Mm-hmm. ACT, took it. Um, and then for GPA, like I would do my best in the classes. But then of course, like whatever. I'm, I'm going to try and do my best. Right. But at the end of the day, whatever I get is whatever I get. So that's just like the mentality that I try and keep now. Mm-hmm. It's just like, uh, I don't like standardized tests. Like, no, literally. I don't. I want to be able to apply what I know. Right. Because I may not have the best grades, mm-hmm. but if you put me in a situation where I need to lead or I need to execute a 
like cast if you want me to build a skeleton of an animal right. I'll do that but if you want to ask me a multiple choice question about it right. I don't know if I could do that and that's not a knock on me right and the same thing as you're saying with the time test because mm-hmm. I highly dislike time mm-hmm. tests because it's like why, why are you going to put a timer on a test <laughs> when all my knowledge is up here? Right. It's just a matter of me taking the time yes. to put it on the paper. Literally. So it's like, why can't, why can't I just have unlimited time to do this? And you have to go through a whole process. Something has to be deemed wrong right. with you by somebody. Exactly. Um, and it's like, or you have to have a certain reason. And it's like, right. how am I supposed to communicate that I have like testing anxiety or I'm not the best test taker when the system's kind of made for that and standardized tests in general they have for SATs they got SAT books but not everybody has money for some $200 books to be able to take a test the GRE which I'm having to take for vet school Mm -hmm. same thing like not everybody has that amount of money to be able to prepare for those things and when you look at it from a racial Racial disparity and yeah. the economy and everything. Right, it's awful. all I'm saying is that's another reason why we're not able to get to the point where, or that makes it difficult to get to the point where we need to be because we're not able to access the same education that would fit the system because mm-hmm. um, it's pretty much based off of grades and standardized tests. Right. I don't even know how I'm explaining right. everything. No, no, but. yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely kind of play back to what she said to. Like the time testing and like something has to be deemed wrong with you. I took a like a college community college, community college class for math because I needed to take statistics. So I was like, oh my god! So I got to figure out how to do like algebra one for like um, at my community college, which was great. But I like bombed the first test and I was like so heartbroken. I was like, oh my gosh! And, because we only had like 50 minutes to take or something. So I just felt rushed and my brain, I don't know why, I guess it's like kind of takes its time with like digesting information. And then if you give me like a minute to sit there and think about everything I've learned and studied and looked at, my brain will slowly start to put the puzzle pieces together. So I remember telling my professor, we're like, hey, is there a learning center I can go to where I don't have to be like timed or something of that sort? Like, I'm just in a better environment because, you know, we got people next to me like writing all these answers down. I'm like, oh my God, like you're already done. And people getting up and walking out the door. And I don't know, it's just too much like external environment noise. So it's like, I, I started doing better on the, performing what better on the test because I could take as much time as I needed um, when I went to like the learning center. But it's like kind of sad how you have to have be written off. And luckily, I didn't have to like say I had a disability or anything. He just was like, let me do it by the gracious of his heart. Yeah. But it's just stuff like that. I'm like thinking about it's just like kind of sad how people aren't performing well because their environment is just so poor. And then you get penalized for that. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So, yeah. And I want to ask you, like, as far as like, I know for me, I know like my sisters like sometimes jokes on me like you have to make race like an issue with everything, but like it is at least for me and how I like realize people perceive me as. Mm-hmm. So for you, when you were in those classes, um, and then maybe hypothetically even now as a college student, if you were at a PWI, like how would you make sure to? Stay true to yourself because I feel like sometimes black people get in those spaces where it's predominantly white and then their mentality starts to shift and their yeah. morals become compromised. So how do you stay true to yourself? Like, no, this is, I want to stay true to myself. Um, I would say through middle or through elementary, middle school and high school, I was like, like, like the white black kid, mm-hmm. literally just because I was smart and it was weird. Um, yeah. But in those AP classes, that's who I was able to hang around because that's who was in all my classes. But I feel like, again, junior year of high school, um, <laughs> I just got to a point where I was like, now nah, I'm me because I, I don't know, I'm me because everything that makes me, me, which is my family, um, 
And I also, as you were saying, looking at myself from the outside perspective, mm-hmm. if you just look at me, I'm this tall, skinny, <laughs> black guy, like 6'1". Right. Uh, but I feel like that can sometimes be intimidating when you look at somebody that's like 6'1". And with society's perceptions and everything, with like implicit bias and everything, right. I'm a black male, which also translates some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just try and be, yeah, I try and be as nice as I am, be like, of course, genuinely me, which I'm just a naturally happy and <laughs> nice guy. Right. Um, but if somebody tries to, one, cross me, mm-hmm. then I can articulate, my, articulate myself in a way that's respectful, mm-hmm. um, but also doesn't stray away from who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the whole thing about code switching mm-hmm. um, has been like a big topic. Yeah. I don't code switch. I feel like I used to, yeah. but now I don't care exactly where I am. Um, <laughs> the way I dress in professional settings, even no matter what room I walk into, no matter what anybody in the room looks like, I'm going to bring me mm-hmm. and how I want to look. Right. So usually every time I go to like a conference or anything, I always have my twist. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have on a suit, sometimes I'll have on my Jordans just because that's what makes me, me. Right. Um, and I'll say stuff like dope just because right. you know, that's, that's me. That's how I talk to my family. That's how I talk to everybody. That's like part of my culture. So I don't ever try and mask who I am for somebody else. Cause right. I got to make sure that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And if you don't accept me for me, then that's not my problem. That's your loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that you accept me for me because I'm accepting you for you. Right. So there's no reason why I feel like I should change no matter if I'm the only black person in the room or if I'm in a room full of black people. Mm-hmm. I'm an articulate, well-educated mm-hmm. leader that wants to Period. do a whole bunch of different stuff. Right. That is a six-one black male. Skinny, happy guy. <laughs> and, and that's me. And I'm probably going to face that in vet school unless I end up going to Tuskegee. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to just be the best me that I can be. Right. What, what about you? Right. <laughs> going to grad school. Uh, I, I like, I'm kind of like you. At first, I believed and I did code switch switching and kind of conform to kind of make sure I was perceived as being like, um, docile or like not a problem as like or stereotyped as often like black woman face like I need to be seen as like aggressive or anything or angry so like I'm kind of like you I'm kind of like unapologetically black now because yes. <laughs> because the HBCU that I've grown because I've I realized especially with like the the last year or two years ago now like the murder of George Floyd it's like no matter what we do, how we do it, or how we say it, or how we go about it, it's like you're never going to get that approval that you think you're looking for. So, yes. so <laughs> that's what that's like I'm going to take with me because I do know I do I don't want to say play the game, but as far as like I do kind of like you kind of like make sure we have a job and that I'm learning and growing and thriving, but at the same time that's kind of like to not have people walk over you and to make sure to speak up and all that good stuff. So yeah, that's how I'm going to carry it. And then also to like not be paranoid because I have some, I had some friends like back in high school who are like always conscious of themselves to the point where it was like, are you even living? Like you're just constantly being paranoid. Like, I don't know, I guess I was kind of stuck in that headspace too, um, like I said earlier. But now I'm like, you just have to live like you have to breathe like you can't constantly be paranoid looking over your shoulder and hearing voices in your head like you can't like you're gonna drive yourself down a rabbit hole so I don't want that to happen for me so I'm like I'm gonna move in a way to where it's like intentional that I am aware of being a black woman but then also like trying to figure out how to take up space and be unapologetic about it yeah uh, even in interviews, I feel like that most of the stuff that I do is unconventional. Like interviews, there are like different methods you can use for interviews. Mm-hmm. I just have a conversation with the person. Yeah. Um, and I know that growing up, um, and even just talking to different people, they're like, you need to get your hair cut because mm-hmm. I right now I have like an afro. Right. Um, like you need to get your hair cut. You need to 
look, this way you need to talk and this way you need to do the interviews in this step-by-step method Mm -hmm. to make sure you ensure the highest chance of success of getting a job or internship or whatever opportunity it is. Right. And that's just not me. Mm -hmm. So I've just been like, yeah, no, I can't do that. (laughs) I'm going to do my stuff my way. And I just hope that everybody like finds that as well as able to be, as you were saying, unapologetically black. Right. If that's two words, unapologetically black, if you were black, Please do that. Right. <laughs> you will find Literally. so much like peace in that because you're gonna be able to be yourself. You're not gonna be, as you're saying, like paranoid, looking over your shoulder, always yeah. wondering if you're doing okay or seeking approval that you're never actually going to get or right. hear what you actually think that you want to hear. You don't even know what you really want to hear. Right. Um, right. That's just like that's just like a fact of life in yeah. general too. But this has been a great conversation. Yeah. Too, right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so funny. If you could change something specific about the education system in America, what would it be? Well, I would say first, I don't know how it's not going to be easy. I don't know what the imitation will look like. Um, but first, I would tell schools to require critical race theory and to show the whole picture. Um, especially since I, ironically, I got my U.S. history taught to me by Texas education, which was very interesting. And yeah, they definitely had a demographic or target audience in mind when they taught the U.S. history and like all the wars. And it's like very interesting point of view as far as how they kind of saw themselves as like like home man from Sesame and like the Korean War and Vietnam War and like how we just saw ourselves as just a victim in every single way. So I think definitely critical race theory I would teach, especially given our history as like black Americans, um, it's a lot of sugarcoat and even like the civil rights movement in the fifties and sixties, a lot of just misinformation. So I would definitely teach that and I will also would make a requirement amongst educational schools. But I will also probably to abolish the whole gifted and talented programs, especially since, like yourself, you know, there are exceptions of like uh, people of color and minorities getting to those programs. But for the most part, I feel like it is subjective. And even if it is subconscious, like for the most part, majority of students that are in those programs are not going to be black or people of color or have a diverse thought, they call it now nowadays. So I would probably abolish that system because it's like, not only are you black in America, but you're constantly being told that you're not talented or you're not gifted or you don't deserve to have um, books that aren't scribbled with explicit, you know, just like, just, just, you know, you just deem yourself as not worthy. And I feel like when you're older, you're like, I am worthy. But when you're nine ten like it's like it's training exactly so like throughout your whole life you know you deem yourself just educationally stunted or not worthy so i would definitely abolish that and i think would be like my two main things i would change and then also to like pour into um black and brown youth um especially from a black american standpoint because we're not a monolith but i think for me personally i think i could best reach target audience of black Americans um, in suburbia or rural or inner cities because I feel like given our history with America, it's very painful to kind of gain economic or academic success without having some, I don't know, looking within yourself and being like, okay, I am my ancestors well wildest dreams. So I definitely think I would point to that. How? I'm not sure yet, but <laughs> I would definitely try to figure out a way. I would say, I would echo some of the points that you're making, especially the point in the black youth mm-hmm. from a young age. Because mm-hmm. as you were saying, like you get kind of isolated from the jump. And speaking for somebody that was in those honors programs, even though I was in the honors program, which was already a select amount of students, I was the only black kid mm-hmm. or the only one of two black kids in that. So that's like double isolation. <laughs> right. And not everybody's as fortunate as me and I'm able to recognize that mm-hmm. with like the family support system that I had or the area that I grew up or the school system mm-hmm. that I was in. Because the school system that I was in, the education, amazing. Mm-hmm. People. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but 
like just that in general, I want to be able to pour into the black youth mm-hmm. just to try and get them to the point of being themselves and that they're worthy of one, it's okay for them to be smart, and two, it's okay for them to be themselves and be black and be proud of that. Yes. I want to get them to that point at the youngest age as I can because awesome. then that just, just exponential growth curve after exactly. that. Exactly. Um, exactly. Another thing, um, even though it's not specifically within the education system, um, I want to work with this, work on the school to prison pipeline because mm, um, it's with the black students. Yes. Um, and it's like once they initially get into it, mm-hmm. so hard to break out of it. Yes. Um, so I want to try and, I feel like helping the black youth and getting to that point will also tie into that. Yeah. Um, and then also with standardized tests, mm-hmm. um, I don't like standardized tests. I want to figure out some way to be able to qualitatively measure, mm-hmm. like, what a student does mm-hmm. um, as opposed to um, quantitatively measuring that um, through a multiple choice tests because you can't really um, gauge how much somebody knows pretty much everything that we've been saying this whole entire podcast. Right. You can't really gauge somebody's knowledge or intellectual capabilities or personality or anything, how they work in a team mm-hmm. based off of a standardized tests right um so i want to be able to make programs that'll help with that and then also in terms of teachers yeah i feel like there needs to be a more diverse yes teacher workforce i guess you can call it yes absolutely because um, i remember every single black teacher in every single one of my schools i know them by name mm-hmm. and it's like that's crazy that's, because yeah. there have been there are hundreds of teachers mm-hmm. that have been in the different schools that I've been in. Mm-hmm. But I specifically remember the black teachers at each of those schools. Right. Um, and it's crazy. I'm like, what if I saw black teachers and black professionals that came in to speak to us? Right. What if I was able to see that from a young age? How would I be right. now, today, um, tying into being unapologetically black and being proud of being black? Right. And that's okay to be a smart black kid. Right. At a young age, right? Um, but that's I'll, good. I like ties. That's good. Age. Yeah, especially that prison pipeline. Jesus <laughs> Christ, it's just awful. Yeah, it's wild, like yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, but I wrap up every episode with two questions. Okay. So everybody gets mad because they're deep questions. But first question: What are three things that you live by, or your three keys to life? My three keys. To life. Yes. Mm, that's rough. Not me thinking is hard. Don't really think it. I would say first one is to, like we've kind of been saying this entire uh, podcast, be unapologetically black in wherever that is. So um, there's a lot of intersections for being black. Um, African, have the descendant first generation, Caribbean, or if you're queer, it's like, take up that space and be unapologetically about it because that's something I'm still learning to do because I'm pretty introverted. So, like, I don't know if that ever happens to you, but, like, something will happen and then I don't peep it until, like, two hours later. I'm like, wait a minute, that person's <laughs> talking crazy to me and I just didn't say anything. So to be unapologetically black and to um, be curious, be inquisitive, and be insightful, um... It's always good to ask questions and to always stay curious and to listen listen to people and what they have to say and what their experiences of life or who they are as a person. And three, I would have to say, um, I don't know. Do I have a third one? I'm not sure I do. Well, I would say, I don't know, I would swim for my third one. Hmm. It's not a time test, you take it to win. No, literally, <laughs> literally. Like, maybe it'll come to me. I would say, oh, I would say for me, well, this, all of these can apply to my life as these keys, but I would say always pivot and don't have analysis paralysis or paralysis analysis like yeah. don't overthink everything kind of like what I just did just now <laughs> like just let just let life be life um, I think Gen Z especially even younger generations 
and they want their job to be just existing <laughs> and to just um, be a person on this earth. So not always like falling victim to capitalism and being um, burnt out. So I think definitely don't let yourself or let your mind like paralyze you to where you're just over analyzing everything. Yeah. Book recommendation for that. The Paradox of Choice. It's also oh, a TED Talk. Um, really good one. Okay, um, good. But it's also about like having, especially in today's day and age, having so many options that instead of picking one and going for it, you just sit there and look at all the different options. Mm. Um, but it was really good. Yeah. But next question, <laughs> the final question. Um, if you could have a conversation with a 12-year-old you, it's like finishing up middle school and about to get into high oh, school, God. what would it be about and what advice would you give and why? Um, first of all, I hope I would either listen to myself. <laughs> um, I would kind of reassure myself the whole overthinking paralysis analysis has definitely impacted my life a lot to the point where it's like I look back and I'm like, I didn't even need to be that pressed. So I would tell myself to relax, take a step back. And to realize that you know the future is bright, and that to be more sure of myself, and not to lose that confidence. So, 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 so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode, sharing your precious knowledge, being an amazing friend, and also just sharing your time with me in general. Always. Um, anything that you would like to promote, shameless plugs that you have going on <laughs> that you'd like to say something about, or last words that you'd like to leave the audience with. Um, well, for I don't know your audiences, but I would say everybody shake the table. I would 